Welcome to another episode of Stats on Deck. I am Nick Laporte, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend Jake Adams. We are here talking Bryce Harper. He signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. 13 years, $330 million. Jake, initial gut reaction, what do you think? I think I'm in the twilight zone. <laughs> like, like I'm ready I'm ready for, like, Rod Serling to just pop up out of my closet and oh, man. tell me that tell me that like you know i'm i'm in a different dimension it does seem a little surreal after all this time waiting we finally have the bryce harper bomb dropped this afternoon but when the bomb drops i i just left confused i 13 years 13 years like i don't even care what the number is 13 years that's longer than most marriage lasts Right, and it's it's important to note the 13 years, there is no opt-out clause in the deal, which means oh, uh, Bryce is locked into Philly until age 39. So for the rest of his career, most likely, he is married to Philly. He's going to be a Philly. And if things go sour or he doesn't like it, there's no way out. Now, uh, Machado, for example, signed for less years, less overall money, but... Machado can opt out at age 31 after having made 150 million on his deal. Yep. I honestly think that was the play. I think that's the play right now in baseball. You want to be a free agent in that 29 to 31 range where mm-hmm. you can sign one more big deal. Now I understand for Harper, it was important for him clearly to set the record for overall guaranteed money. He sets it by 30 million in free agency, 30 million more dollars than Machado made. And comparing it to the Giancarlo Stanton extension, Stanton's extension was for $325 million. So Bryce beats that by a measly $5 million. So any way you look at it, Bryce Harper signed the, most guaranteed money in a contract in Major League Baseball history and in the four major sports in their history as well. Kind of staggering to think about. 13 years, $330 million, no opt-out. But the, the, here's the thing I think is interesting, right? Like, if you just do some, like, I think Dan Coco for, for the Nationals tweeted this out earlier. It was, if you just do, like, simple elementary school math, you look at Bryce's 330 over 13 years and it, it comes out to $25 million and that's going to be what a drop in the bucket in three years. Right. I think that's important to note because there are so many good players that are going to hit free agency over the next three to four years. Uh, Most notably Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, the uh, two most recent American league MVPs. They are going to set some records potentially with the amount of money they make per year. Now Machado's 30 million a year was the most in history. And it still is the most as of now Uh, for a free agent, Arenado's making more signing an extension, but I think we're going to see that number jump way up over the next few years. There are a lot of good players that are going to need to be paid. Um, I wanted to talk about this. So, as it was reported over the last few days, I'm really over free agency this time period. The Dodgers were the one of the other contenders to get Bryce Harper. Yep. Uh, they signed A.J. Pollock to a free mm-hmm. agent deal, and it seemed like they were out of the running. However, over the last few days, they jumped back in, and according to John Morosi, they offered him a four-year deal worth $45 million a season, so he would have made $180 million from ages 26 to 30 and would have hit free agency again right in that prime time that we were talking about, mm-hmm. having made $45 million per year. <laughs> 45. Uh, 45. That's reported by John Morosi. Now, that was contested a little bit later on. Some were arguing that the deal might be closer in that 36 to $40 million range per year over four years. But any way you look at it, it seems like that was a better deal for Bryce Harper in his career. Now, perhaps it was important for him to stay with one team for the rest of his career. 
It's unclear whether the Dodgers were willing to commit past those four years. But I think, I think from a personal standpoint, L.A. made more sense for him. Now he's from the West Coast. L.A. is a vastly superior team in every facet, coming off of two World Series appearances with plenty of good young players. And it would have paid Bryce almost double what he's making per year. I'm kind of struggling to find out why he decided to go with this Phillies deal unless he was just in love with the idea of playing in Philadelphia. That's really the only thing that I can think that would explain why he would turn down that Dodgers deal. And especially important, I'm confused why he doesn't want an opt-out in his deal at any point. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, so what you or I nor anybody else that's confused about this doesn't – what we don't understand is that Bryce Harper has a magic ball. Like, he has a magic crystal ball, and him and Scott Boris were looking into this for the last – what felt like 19 years, but really it was only a couple months. And they know that Philadelphia – like, the Philadelphia Phillies are going to win the World Series – nine of the next 13 years. And the only way for this to happen was if Bryce took $25 million a year and for any, he gave his entire career career to that organization, but they're the only ones that know that. Right. The the rest of us must just be fools because the, like, as you mentioned before, just looking at the Dodgers deal for a second, looking at just those four years, like the average money a year is almost double what he's going to be making with the Phillies. Why like play out those years. You can, you can stay and you can, you can extend or you can try free agency, but at least you give yourself some freedom and leeway with, with, with that contract. And you, you get to see what this group of talent looks like for, for the Dodgers. See if you can make a run with them and, and potentially try to win a world series and, and then leave yourself open. But with the dot, I mean, with the Phillies, you've like, you've put handcuffs on yourself and you basically said, I'm here no matter what we could finish last in the division, you know, nine of the next 13 years. And I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. The one, right. the one, the one thing that's interesting. And the one thing I think we should note is that that $25 million a year is going to be movable. Like it's a big, big, long contract, but it's not for astronomical amounts of money. And it, it, it will be, it will be movable to teams that are willing, that are willing to take on a payroll like that, like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, like the Dodgers, like the Cubs, like uh, the Nationals, any of those teams can, can step in five, six years from now, if Bryce wants to add, wants to get out and he can, he can move on. Right. I think that's a good point. Uh, the $25 million a year, it doesn't necessarily put him in the, in the highest average amount of money in the league. And I think it's definitely movable going forward. But I don't, I don't know if teams would really be willing to take on that. Let's say five years into the deal, he wants out. The Phillies aren't doing well. They try to move the contract. Even if you're the Yankees. Do you really want to deal with eight more years of him on your team? Now, I'm not trying to disrespect him as a player, but I'm saying when you trade for a guy with, say, eight, nine, or ten more deal, ten more years left on his deal, it's kind of daunting. I mean, I just uh, this kind of commitment is almost unprecedented. You don't really see this in in baseball where a guy signs for more than ten years with no opt out. This this is the only sport where this could ever happen. Football, and unless you're Tom Brady, or or really a, an elite quarterback, your careers don't last that long. There, right? And the, that's not happening. the The only other sport this really happened it, with NBA. I mean, people change teams like you know, like they change laundry detergents. I mean, it, it it's that's every it's a, it's every six months. But um, the only other place that this can kind of happen is hockey with really elite players that are committed to teams. Like I know you, like the Alex Ovechkin contract, I think was also 13 years when he signed it. Right. Um, in, That's a good point. 
I think this that's the only other place it happens, but it's not nearly worth the same amount of money. There's right, and I also think it's worth noting uh, if you're going to sign a guy to a 13 year deal, usually you're going to want to want to get them to agree to that in their early 20s, right? No, like no question. I think I think if you're doing a 13 year deal from as a team, you're not going to want your guy to be older than 21, 22 years old, just because. And if we're looking at it, Philly has positioned themselves to house Bryce Harper for his prime. So we're thinking as he enters the prime of his career, late 20s into his early 30s, he's going to be in Philadelphia. They're expecting to be able to put a contender around him. I think it makes sense from that perspective. But what would scare me as the Phillies is those last four or five years where Bryce is into his mid to late 30s, uh, he's already a minus defender. I don't know if the Phillies realize this, but left field or first base is really where you're going to have to put him. If you have him in right field, as we saw last year, you're going to be in trouble. Just looking at his metrics on fan graphs, defensively, he had by far his worst season. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think it's important to note that um, – the 13 year commitment to a guy that's probably destined for first base in the next three or four years is, is a little frustrating in my opinion, especially, especially for a fan. I mean, do you really want to be committing 13 years to a guy that, to a guy that hasn't had um, overwhelming success in his career yet? I just, I don't, I don't know if, if I would be willing to make that kind of commitment personally, but, the Phillies seem really happy with it, so maybe they know better than we do. So going going in that same train of thought, his rookie season, four point four wins above replacement. It's right. a great year, great year for a rookie. He follows that up in twenty thirteen with a slight regression, four point one wins above replacement. It's fine. Right. You you expect a you expect a little bit of a sophomore slump. Right. And he was dealing with a knee injury that he played through that season. Right. I think as we watched during that year, the talent was the same from the previous year. It was more of a the injury subdued issue. right because of the injury. But go ahead. And then 2014, you follow that up with another injury plague season. So I mean, right there in the early part of his career, when you expect, I mean, he'd be the healthiest. Right. He's already dealing. He's already not made it through two full seasons. Puts up 1.6 wins of urban replacement. Then he follows that up in his MVP year in 2015, 9.3 wins above replacement. I mean, that's 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 upper tier. That's uh, that's that is the ceiling, in in what in why you sign Bryce Harper right. to a deal like this. That's 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 what this is. He could have followed that up the following year. It or was it the 2017 was his was the was the other MVP season potentially if he hadn't gotten hurt. That is correct. Yeah, so going so going from there, and then obviously, I mean, last year in the contract year, and this is the thing that's most staggering to me, is you're in a contract year, you're trying to get the biggest contract of all time, um, you don't know what's going to happen, and in the first half of the the season, you're batting two thirty. Right. It was it was a struggle to watch him at certain points. Now, granted, there were some unusual slumps going on he was hitting the ball hard and not getting any success. But we also saw up through the all-star break, he started to show some bad habits of chasing balls out of the zone more than he ever had. Mm-hmm. Right. Re- he was pressing. He was refusing to get on base via the walk. And I, I do think it's important to note Bryce was healthy last year. He was not dealing with any kind of injury. Played 159 games. Right. He, he he played the most he's ever played in a season. Yep. And now the counting stats were decent. The 250 is not horrible as a batting average. Uh, he drove in 100 runs for the first time. The 34 home runs is impressive. We've seen the trend since his MVP year. He's, he's a 25 to 30 home run guy year mm-hmm. to year from what we've seen. Uh, one thing that kind of shocks me a little bit just looking at his career so far defensively the only year in which he had a positive defensive rating was his rookie year 
and that was when mm-hmm. he was playing generally left and center field. Ever since moving to right field, it's been kind of it's been kind of a disaster to say the least. Even his in his MVP year, his defense was very bad. Mm-hmm. So building off of that, now I think we should talk about the Phillies and what we think about how this Bryce Harper deal changes the division. What are your thoughts on Bryce to the Phillies? Does this make them the favorite in the NL East or not? I... uh... The two, there's, well, this is this is one of the good things about this division this year. You have two, you have the Phillies, the Braves, and the Nationals now all in a competitive division. Really, I mean, with a Mets team that looks way more confident than they did last year with some of the acquisitions they made, and right. um, getting Robinson Cano and a cluster of other guys. I mean, the Marlins are still going to be a minor league team next year, but unfortunately, I mean, you have, yes you have four teams that are going to be able to win some games next year. And it's, I mean, it's, it's going to be a bloodbath in the NL East. I think that with this move, uh, if they're not the favorites, they're right up, they're right up in the conversation. I mean, before this move, even after getting JT real Muto, I still had them finishing behind the nationals and the Braves, but after getting, after getting Bryson, I mean, they, they probably have the best off season of anybody in baseball you have to think, I mean, they can. They have just as good of a chance to win the division now as the Braves or the Nationals. I would, I would tend to agree with you. I wanted to mention an article from Fangraphs by Craig Edwards about mm-hmm. Bryce Harper going to the Phillies. Now, according to Fangraphs and Craig Edwards, this does not put the Phillies as the favorite. This adds more wins to their expected win total, but – the projections still seem to favor the Nationals. Now, as you mentioned, um, the Nationals and the Phillies both loaded up this offseason trying to fill in holes on their teams. For the Phillies, they added Bryce Harper, obviously, Gene Segura, Andrew McCutcheon, JT Real Muto, mm-hmm. whereas the Nationals added Patrick Corbin, Brian Dozier, Jan Gomes, Kurt Suzuki, and a few other guys. So it's it's been an something of an arms race in the division I think this move I would agree with you the Phillies should be right there with the Nationals at the top of the division I think we could see two playoff teams come out of this division at this point I think this is bad news for the Braves because although they won the division last year they didn't really do anything to get much stronger now I'm not a I'm not always a betting man, but I would not bet on Josh Donaldson changing the course of the future for the Braves. No, <laughs> no um, I would I would not either. <laughs> he would not be my pick for a bounce back MVP candidate, but uh I think this definitely should put the Phillies in the conversation to make the playoffs and potentially win the division. Now just looking at some of the holdovers on their team. Reese Hoskins, actually, interestingly enough, had nearly an identical season to Bryce Harper. Both were ranked similarly poorly defensively. Both were in that 250 batting average range with mid-30s in the home runs and about 100 RBIs. Um, I like Reese Hoskins as a player. I think he has a chance to become an all-star caliber outfielder now in his two. Uh, first se- first two seasons in Philadelphia in an abbreviated 2017 campaign. He put up 2.2 wins above replacement, which was really impressive. Took a little bit of a step back in his first full season, only 2.9 wins above replacement, but definitely a guy that they see as part of their young core. I think, uh, I think Hoskins is a guy you definitely like pairing with Harper in that outfield offensively. The defense is a little bit more worrying. Yeah, the the projected lineup for the Phillies this year, and obviously you can move a couple pieces around, but I'm just going off of a basic template, is you're going to have Andrew McCutcheon uh, leading off, Gene Segura behind him, Bryce Harper in the three spot, JT Real, JT Real Muto backing him up, then you're going to have Reese Hoskins, Michael Franco, 
Odubel Herrera and then Cesar Hernandez backing uh, the end of the lineup up uh, before the pitcher. That that's a lineup that can win a division. Um, if things go right, that's a lineup that can make a deep run in the playoffs. The thing that I look at is you need with all of those particular players. I think we mentioned this earlier. The only really guaranteed spot I have on this lineup, as dangerous as it sounds, is JT Real Muto. That's the only player I have in that lineup that I know exactly what I'm going to get from him. Right. I think that's a really good point because with JT Real Muto, you sort of know what you're going to get. Um, he's proven over the last few years that he's a consistent offensive player. Mm-hmm. He's expected to be if not the best, arguably the best offensive catcher in baseball. Just looking at some of his numbers, he really broke out three years ago. He put up a 3.7 win season. The power started to come along for him as he's totaled 17 home runs in 2017 and then 21 last season. Last season was his best season, 4.8 wins above replacement, only in 125 games, obviously, as a catcher. The defensive ratings like him, he's a guy that doesn't really walk but makes a lot of contact, and he's a guy that really helps out the Phillies lineup, especially in a spot where they struggled last year with catcher. Uh, One thing I did want to talk about, though, the Phillies pitching staff. Now, Aaron Nola is, if not an ace, on the brink of becoming an ace, but no beyond that, are are there the pieces there to to win a division? Well, Jake Arrieta is getting older. Uh, he, we've we've definitely seen a decline since uh, his days in Chicago. Um, Vincent Velasquez has shown spurts of being a successful near top end of the rotation pitcher. I mean, he had a three point nine seven ERA last year. Right. Had 156 strikeouts. I, he, I mean, there's competency on on this pitching on this pitching staff, and it's headed by Aaron Nolan. Will be for years to come, and I think that's a bright spot. But here, here's the thing to think about: Jake Arrieta is not going to be there in in a couple of years. You don't know who else is going to be bolstering that starting that starting rotation. The other thing to think about is Andrew McCutcheon's not going to be there in a couple of years. JT Real Muto is up for free agency. And, and who knows what happens with the rest of their lineup. Do you know who is going to be there for the next 13 years come hell or high water? Bryce Harper. That's a good point. And this is why we go back to, it's like, we could sit here and break down the, the lineups and, and the pitching staff, but but what's, what's truly puzzling is that we don't even know who's going to be protecting Bryce Harper in three years. Right, that's the thing. It's a... It's definitely not a short-sighted move. They see Bryce Harper as the anchor of their team for the rest of his career, basically. Mm -hmm. But that is a good point. They have pending free agents. They're going to lose some guys. And one guy I wanted to talk about that is expected to be a key cog in the Phillies' offensive lineup, Gene Segura. Now, Gene has been a relatively consistent player since breaking onto the scene in 2013 with the Brewers, but his last two years with the Mariners, he's kind of tailed off a little bit. He had his best year in 2016 with the Diamondbacks, 5.1 wins above replacement. Going to the AL wasn't exactly a good thing for him. Still absolutely a quality ball player, borderline all-star level, but I don't know if I would count on Gene Segura to be a key bat in my lineup. Do you know what I mean? No, I know. I know exactly what you mean. It's that's that's what I go back to. I mean, Andrew McCutcheon showed spurts last year, getting picked up by the Yankees at the deadline. He showed the ability to still be able to lead off a lineup, get on base, regardless of the power numbers, walks, strikeouts, anything. He found ways to get on base, and he was a productive leadoff man for him. But he's a year older. We right. we don't know what we don't know what that's going to look like. That's a question mark. We don't we haven't seen enough of Reese Hoskins to know what he's going to be from year to year. I mean, we don't have a big enough sample size, and th- there are so many question marks. And the guy that's supposed to be, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, with with JT being the only really reliable, know what you're going to get every year, is that we 
we don't even know what we're going to get out of Bryce. I mean, Bryce could win the MVP next year and put up 10 plus wins above replacement. I mean, but the problem is he could also have a four win season. And then this contract looks ridiculous. And six months and six months from now, everybody's scratching their heads wondering, you know, is this what Bryce is going to look like for the rest of his career? Is he going to have for every one great year he has, is he going to have six bad years? Well, that's a, that's a really good point because when you sign a deal of this caliber, you are expected to produce year after year. You're there's, the guy. There's no way around it. You b- Before you signed your free agency deal, yes, for the Nationals, you were their number one guy, arguably, but the pressure on you wasn't nearly as much. You, you've just signed the largest free agency deal in history. You have to prove it now. I mean, the thing, the thing too, to go, the thing too, to go into, and I, I really think this is important is more oftentimes than not. And this, and this is kind of where I see owners and front offices um, points and not wanting to sign these massive long-term contracts is how many times do teams sign these big contracts and do they even live up to half of the deal? Well, that's a good point. So I wanted to, talk about this list I pulled up from MLB.com. It's the list of the biggest contracts in baseball history, not taking into account Bryce Harper's. So we look at the number one on the list, Manny Machado, definitely too early to tell if that was. Yeah, we don't know what that's going to be. The next one is Alex Rodriguez's contract with the Yankees, 10 years, 275 million ran from 2008 to 2017. Now, granted, the Yankees did win one championship after that A-Rod signing. They were the 2009 World Series champions. But I think most Yankees fans would tell you that A-Rod was definitely overpaid over the course of that contract. And for most of the years, he did not live up to the number he signed for. Well, with all of the frustration, the... You know the PED issues, the the clubhouse issues, the 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 chasm of issues brought on by Alex's personality. Do you think that the Yankees would have? Obviously, you can't know in the moment, but I mean, do you think they would have signed a ten year a ten year deal for two hundred and seventy five million dollars if they known how the rest of that contract was going to shake out? I mean, he didn't even play for what a year and a half off of suspension, and by the time that he did get to play, it was just he was like. He was a shell of himself. Right. And and that's that sort of takes us into the next contract. Also, Alex Rodriguez, this was a 10-year, $252 million contract with the Rangers. Now, this one, it's arguable that A-Rod did live up to the hype because this isn't, right, he this, averaged 52 home runs and 132 RBIs with the Rangers um, in, three, in the first three years of that deal before being mm-hmm. traded to the Yankees. I think I think the Rangers would make that deal again if they were presented with it. Absolutely. So of the of the two we've mentioned so far for our discussion, we're one out of two for the deals having worked out. Now going into the next one, this is Albert Pujols with the Angels, 10 years, $240 million that runs through the end of two seasons from now. If you like individual accomplishments and zero team success with the best player in in baseball uh, on your team, then this is the contract for you. Um, if you don't like that and you actually want to have overall team success and you want to you want to have your your player, um, you want to have the player that you signed for this astronomical amount of money produce and be a cog in the machine to be in the playoffs every year. This does not live up to the hype. Right, and I think this is the one that we should look at to compare to Bryce the most. Now, uh, Pujols and Bryce were sort of at similar points in their careers. Uh, Albert had had more individual and team success. He had won the MVP award three times. Mm-hmm. He was a two-time World Series champion. And the Angels were expecting to get the best offensive player in baseball for at least the next five years of that deal. Yep. Now, as we saw, Albert Pujols did have a lot of individual success with the Angels before injuries and age started to catch up to him. But the Cardinals have actually won a World Series more recently than he has. So I think that's an interesting thing to note. The Cardinals turned down 
the idea of bringing back a guy of his caliber and has actually had more success than he has with the Angels. No, I it, it's well said. I, I I think that's a great point. I you needed. I, I understand the Angels' position and Albert Pujols as a baseball player is one of the one of the best right-handed hitters to ever play the game. He has 3,000 3, hits. He's, I mean, has he already hit 600? He's already over he 600 and 3,000 hits. Right. So he's a bona fide first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, it, the, the deal, ha- he was going to sign for that money. It was just who's going to pay him. Right. The, the, the hope was that he was going to bring that with him and then taper off slowly. But with the foot injuries and, and, and the other things that caught up to him, and now, I mean, I think I think last year and the year before that, I mean, he was the he was the worst player that qualified for at bats in baseball. Right. It's it's kind of a disaster from the Angels' standpoint. And uh, going back to a point you touched on earlier, so the average money that Albert Pujols makes is twenty four million dollars a year, which yep. is very similar to the average that Bryce is making. But as we've seen, the Angels haven't been able to move the contract of Albert Pujols because when you get to a certain point late into your contract, when you're old, you're over the hill, you're not having the same kind of success you used to, teams decide that you're kind of more trouble than you're worth. And unfortunately for the Angels, they're stuck with Albert Pujols. And I think just looking, you know, eight, nine, ten years into the future, we could be in a similar position with Harper in Philadelphia. Nobody will want to trade for that contract, and they might be stuck with each other in the last few years of that deal. No question. And then moving, just wanted to touch on two more. Um, Robinson Cano, 10 years, $240 million. Right. That's a contract I think uh, any team, and certainly the Mariners, wish they could have back. Um, you got, it's been, it's been a little bit of a struggle with Cano. Um, it's clear that he was, his skill set was more suited for a stadium like the Yankee stadium, as opposed to playing in Seattle. Um, Cano is a little league field. Right, exactly. And you were trying to uh, say the nice version of that. We, well, we've (laughs) seen his power taper off. We've seen his defense kind of diminish over the years uh he's still definitely potentially on a hall of fame track although um violating the performance enhancing drug policy is not (laughs) going to help him in that regard but i think at the time it definitely made sense he was the best second baseman in baseball coming coming off of being a key performer for a good yankee team and i think I think it, the the trend we're noticing here is these double-digit years on deals very rarely work out for the team and for the player. There, there's no question. Um, I'd, I'd like, for the sake of my fandom and for cognitive dissonance sake, I would not like to touch on the next contract and just skip over David Price and go right into Max Scherzer. Well, I, think, I think it's fair to <laughs> skip over pitchers because we've seen, um, first of all, pitching can vary for so many reasons year to year. Yep. Um, and also it's just difficult to compare pitching and hitting. I think mo- most times it's a better bet to, to give the money to a pitcher just because of how much he can change your team and honestly, sometimes pitchers are even more reliable. So if you're going to have the high contract on your payroll, you'd rather it be a guy pitching instead of hitting. Um, yep. I think the last one we should talk about here is Prince Fielder and the Tigers. Nine years, $214 million. Um, yeah, it didn't really work out for them in the end there. No, and I think this is kind of just – I think we're – we're beating a dead horse in the idea. It's just these for a position player for anything over in, and when I say when anything over seven to eight years, I, I mean, that's the absolute max. These contracts don't really pan out. And I, 
I think front offices have realized this. And I think that, I think that owners have definitely realized this, which is why you've seen these contract negotiation negotiations extend so far into the off season, all the way into spring training. Right. I, it's just, I, I think everybody's starting to catch up and realize that these contracts aren't going to ever be, be fully earned to the, to the level that the teams need them and want them to be. And the appeal for these are lowering less and less, and the players don't want to hear that. Right, that's a good point. Okay, so before we wrap up the podcast, I just wanted to talk about the free agents in the coming 2020 class and maybe our, our initial reactions right now of where they'll end up and um, maybe who's going to set the record for most money. So let's start it off with Jose Abreu of the White Sox. Nick, Jose Abreu is 33 years old. Yes, he is. No, no, Nick. He's not 25 right now, entering free agency when he's 26, like like everybody else. No, he is 33 years old. Yes, he is. He has played professional baseball for a combined total of five seasons. It is kind of staggering. When you think about it, where did so, where did the time go? Did he, he was, start baseball when he was twenty eight? He was already in his late twenties when he break broke onto the scene. Um, one thing I think we should mention here is that his rookie season was just outstanding. It was phenomenal. Five point three wins above replacement. Uh, he looked like maybe one of the one of the guys of the future and I know it's hard to say that about a 28 year old guy as a rookie but uh, he looked like he was going to be a force for years to come and he sort of has been uh, he's hit 30 home runs or more in three of his five seasons uh, I think if you look at his success in three of those five years he's been a, arguably an all-star caliber player I think any team that's looking at him, he's 32 years old. You're not really going to want more than a three or four year deal. I I swear, like I I've been watching baseball for for a good bit now, for for many years. I remember his rookie season like it was yesterday because it was it was 2014. Right. I gar- I told myself and I firmly believe that he was 19 years old. <laughs> I, and I believed my, I believed it. And I just now have learned at looking at fan graphs and, and pulling up the free agent list for next year. I I'm having a lot of trouble with this right now. I thought he was a young, young player with years and years to come. Unfortunately for him, he is not, he's kind of an old man already. He's in that range where you're kind of too old to actually get a good amount of money. He will be looking for as much money as possible because this contract is likely the only one where he can add to that career earnings. Put the White Sox on my MLB uh, on my MLB stream list because I am going to cherish every at bat I get of Jose Abreu. Well, that's what we should do in general. So moving on, another big free agent. I know you love this guy, Xander Bogarts. Oh, Xander Bogarts, just um, to bring up, he's 26 right now. So he'll be 27 entering his free agency right in that early prime of his career. He's a two-time World Series champion. Say it again. (laughs) He's a a two-time World Series champion. Um. He's one of the guys I like to call them the Anthony Rendon All-Stars, the underrated players that yes. that when you look deeper into the numbers, you realize how valuable these guys are. Uh, just looking at Xander Bogarts in three of the last four years, he's basically been a five-win guy. Um, the power's there for him. He's got 20-plus home run pop. He's going to drive in runs. He's going to score runs. Not really a stolen base threat, but a – great contact hitter and a guy that really bolsters any lineup and not to mention he's been an outstanding defender for the majority of his career 
he is he is the perfect Anthony Rendon All Star because when he is on the field and he is constantly getting on base, he's playing his position. He's doing everything that a great good baseball player should do. You don't even notice it. Shout out to Kristen Yelich. Shout out to Brian Dozier. Shout out to Ben Zobrist. But when they are gone and when they are on the disabled list, when they take a day off, you look at your team and you're like, "Why? what the hell's going on? Right, and you can speak to this a little bit just looking at his 2017 season when he was plagued by a wrist injury. The difference in the team was really noticeable when he went from being one of their key contributors to struggling coming back from that injury. So what what I've what I've been spoiled with is that Xander Bogarts year after year is going to bat around 300. He's going to get on base. The power he always supplemented in uh, his power so that he would get on base more, have a higher average. But when he was not healthy and he's not getting on base, not driving the ball, not hitting doubles, not getting on base, you you could see a clear difference in our lineup. It was a major major hole was missing. You you don't have right. protection in that behind your core power guys in your three to four spot with Xander and you're in your, the bottom part of your lineup starts to stagger and starts to falter when he's not in the lineup. Now, when you have a healthy Xander Bogards and then this last year, he start he sacrificed a little bit of that average to bring up some of his power numbers. I mean, you're, you're talking about, he should have been an all-star. I mean, he played in 136 games, a little less time. He had 23 home runs, scored 70, scored 72 runs, for the first time in his career, at 103 RBIs. I mean, there's there's not any plays the hardest position on the infield. I mean, right. and, he, and he plays it well. There's not a team in baseball that would not line up at the door to sign Xander Bogarts. He's proven he can win when it matters, and he can lead a team, and he can bolster any lineup you put him on. And I can only pray that the Red Sox are smart enough, and they've already started t- talks with him to ne- to negotiate an extension before he even gets there. Right. I mean, we've seen the the floor for him is very, very solid, borderline all-star level, and the sky is really the limit for him. He, If he's ever able to figure out how to put up a 300 average, 30 home run, 15 steal kind of campaign with that excellent defense, the Red Sox or whoever signed him could end up with a bargain. I, move, I, move. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, we, we're going to need to. I could spend a whole podcast talking about how much I love Xander. We'll go to Nick Castellanos next. You've young affectionately JD. called him the young J.D. Martinez. <laughs> they yes, used they to did. be teammates. And Castellanos struggled at first when he came up and was trying to bridge the gap from Miguel Cabrera on the Tigers. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was kind of a struggle for the first couple of years there, but um, these last three years, he's kind of solidified himself as a very quality player. Um, he's able to play multiple positions. He plays third base. He plays a little bit of outfield. Uh, he's not really a, a star caliber kind of guy, but he's a very, very solid bat to have in your lineup. Do you think the Tigers try to keep him, or do they commit to the rebuild and let Castellanos find another home? Oh, I, I actually have a fun one, and I think that you'll actually enjoy this. I think the young J.D. Martinez is destined to be dealt at the deadline. And I can think of no team with a clear need for a power bat in the middle of the lineup that can play multiple positions and kind of be flexible to be on a division, a potential division-winning playoff-hunting team, none other than the Washington Nationals. Now, see, I like that um... – I think the positions would be a little bit tricky because I don't know if he's capable of slotting in there at second base. I, I think as a left fielder, I like it. As a first baseman, I like it. Um, I definitely agree. I think the Tigers are going to be sellers at the deadline once again. And I think Castellanos, whether it's the Nationals or somewhere else, is going to find a new home very soon. By the way, only 26 years old. So – if you're betting on upside, I think he's a solid bet going forward. I, 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 sitting here on February 28th, I have to think that 
of there, there are going to be many teams that are going to be needing a big bat in the middle of the lineup. But I think the Nationals are going to be dead in the heat come come July, come the trade deadline. And I think that they're going to be aching for middle of the lineup power source, a, a constant threat to protect Anthony Rendon, send Trey Turner home, uh, and really bolster that lineup. And I think Nick Castellanos could do wonders in the Washington Nationals. I, I it actually excites me because I, I I've said for a while I think that they I think that they are going to need a bat like that come stretch time at the end of the season going into the playoffs. And I I think it's a great fit. Right. So we'll keep an eye on him, see if he ends up in D.C. And moving on, the next guy I want to talk about, perhaps the prize of free agency, Paul Goldschmidt. Now, Goldschmidt was dealt to the Cardinals in this offseason. Um, for the majority of his career, ever since 2013, he's been arguably the best first baseman in the National League. Yep. You're going to count on roughly a 300 batting average, 30-plus home runs, 100-plus RBIs, all the usual suspects. Um, Fangraphs doesn't like his defense, but the eye test, I think we do like his defense generally. Yep. Um, if we're just looking at a trend over his career, 2016, 2017, 2018, it's been about five wins above replacement. I think betting on the consistency there is a good bet. I do not think the Cardinals will be able to retain him. Uh, I don't either. I still don't believe that he's actually going to play for them on opening day in a month. I, I, I'm going to have to see him in the Cardinals jersey to believe that. I, I still. And think even then, and, and even, even then, we might not believe it. <laughs> and even then, after he's been playing there for three months, and you know he's he's making that team just immediately better, I'm still going to turn on an Arizona game and wonder where the hell Paul Goldschmidt is. Um, right, and one one um, slightly concerning trend, looking over the past couple of years, swinging more, walking less. I don't I don't know if that's too worrisome, but for a guy who's 31 now, you'd kind of be hoping that it's the opposite, that you'd be taking more balls, walking, and striking out less. Something to think about as he heads into free agency next year. The next guy. This is one of your all-time favorite players. Uh, he plays for the Yankees, and his name is D.D. Gregorius. <laughs> I D.D. Uh, will be entering age 30 when he's a free agent. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on D.D.? Do you think the Yankees are going to try to keep him around and lock down shortstop, or do you think they're going to let him head somewhere else? So the 34, 35-year-old Troy Tulowitzki is not – going to be anchoring that position for the years to come? I would not count on Troy Tulowitzki for a single at-bat if I was the Yankees. Oh, no, but, Nick, he hit a home run in uh, in his first game of spring training with the Yankees. He just did it. Um, uh, like we like we were talking about with Goldschmidt, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. Yeah. I, uh, um, I want to say this was a good bet by the Yankees when they traded for him. Mm-hmm. They bet on potential, and ever since coming to the Yankees, he has been a good player. He's been arguably an all-star caliber player the last couple of years. Yep. Hasn't had a bad year in New York yet. Uh, he's got 20 home run pop. He's a guy that really can play anywhere in your lineup and can play anywhere in the middle of the infield. I like him going forward as I, a short-term solution. I, I cannot wait for him to go play in anywhere else but Yankee Stadium for 81 games in a year, and then I'll be able to see what he's actually made of. <laughs> Any left-handed bat that, that gets to play in that little league stadium for 81 games, I am not paying him an inordinate amount of money to in any form of free agency. You're going to have to prove it to me in in, in actual stadiums playing, playing baseball for the duration of the season. I I, I like Didi Gregorius as much as it pains me to say. He he produces. He plays elite defense at shortstop. He has the capabilities to be an all star. But I need to see him play on a on a on a team in a different stadium before I start buying a bunch of stock. That's just me personally. I know that I'm biased, but that's where I sit with it. No, and I think that's a good point. I think sometimes with New York players, especially when we're looking at guys that bat left-handed uh we can fall in love with 
the power potential and then when they're not on that team anymore sometimes they struggle it, it's worth noting sometimes mm-hmm. they do struggle so next one uh this is a guy that actually is one of your favorite players he can opt out this year oh, uh, say I'm, it. I'm i'm going in <laughs> alphabetical order by the way just so sure. just to take fairness out of it um or into it uh jd martinez coming off an outstanding first year in boston <sighs> Say it again, Nick. Just keep on saying it. And that, I'm he, telling you, there's he more He won to the come. Phantom Triple Crown last year. He, all of his numbers would have won the Triple Crown in the National League. Um, I mean, this guy, there was he, there was nothing he could do wrong. 330 batting average, 130 RBIs, 43 home runs. By the way, not his career high, which is kind of shocking. <laughs> But, well, that's because uh, he had that's because he had a, he had an MVP in front of him, just taking right. just taking you know bases away from him. But definitely his best year overall. Primarily a designated hitter, he's played the outfield in the past, but I think I think the Red Sox like him as their DH now and as their DH going forward. What do you think? Do you think they try to hold him, or do you think they let him go? The Red Sox in the last. Uh, let's just say 17 years or it wasn't that long. I think it was, I think it was 15 years, 16 years um, were prone to having that position locked down by a guy who most people know affectionately as big poppy. Um, I know him as my Lord and savior. SDH Uh, ever. First ballad hall of famer. You can, you can put that on the board right now. I will be there in Cooperstown to watch him get inducted. Um, But the Red Sox understand and they value the importance of having a leader and having a hitting aficionado in that position in their locker room, constantly talking about baseball, constantly talking about the art of hitting. And they found that in J.D. Martinez. And fortunately, in being the Red Sox and having one of the highest payrolls, I have to think that with the season that he had last year, even if there's a slight regression this year, you're you're talking about the potentially the best hitter in baseball, a guy that that lives, eat, and breathes hitting, and is willing to help and make anybody better in his organization. I don't think, I don't think the Red Sox undervalue that, and I think that they're going to do anything, everything in their power to make sure that he stays with this, stays with the team. I think that's a good point. I don't see him going anywhere. JD, welcome to Boston. Hope you love it. Uh, I, I think he, I think he's doing okay. I think he's pretty happy. So uh, the next guy <laughs> on our list here, Mike Moustakis, kind of shocked Moose. us a little bit with um, with the deal that he signed. It was a one-year deal to stay with the Brewers. Now, he's 30 years old. He's won World Series in his career. Um, the production peaked in 2015 with the Royals. That was the year that they won the World Series. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a guy going forward that you can put at third base and be confident in him helping your team. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the Brewers are going to want to commit long-term to him. So the thing that I felt, the thing I thought surprised us was like he produced for Milwaukee last year after, after he was traded, he has solidified and been a all-star level third baseman for the Royals every year, regardless of overall team success, he's been a bright spot on every year, every year he's played. I don't know what he or his agent were thinking, but I, I don't understand how he, how one of his best deals, and maybe just because of the success he had with the Brewers and the bonds that he had with those guys that he wanted to just stay there. So he took less, he took less years, but I mean, Mike Moustakis should have been locked down for multiple years. This should have been a big contract for him. And I was I was actually surprised that he only got one year. I mean, he's betting on himself again, and I would too because he always produces. But, I mean, he deserved a much larger contract over several years for the things that he's done in, in baseball. Right. I, I think I would have to agree with you here. Uh, one thing quickly to note about Moustakis, it was mm-hmm. a small sample size in Miller Park, but – his home run per fly ball rate dropped. And mm-hmm. that's something we actually don't see a lot in Miller Park. We saw Christian Yelich's home run per fly ball rate skyrocket 
So I think <laughs> I think Moustakis as a power bat in the middle of that lineup is a safe bet to have a great contract year once again. Um, what, he is going to be step- playing. He's playing second base this year, though, or he's going to be playing at least a little bit of it after yeah. being a third baseman his entire career. Are there any worries there? Yeah, I worry about the mobility a little bit. I mean, he's kind of built like a like a third baseman. I mean, I, I, I think they'd rather have, as weird as it is to say, I think they'd rather have Travis Shaw play that position. He's a little bit younger. I think his mobility is probably a little bit better. But, I mean, they don't really have a clear-cut second baseman, and it, it could work out for them. I mean, but it, I, I would, if I if I had to pick, I would rather have Mike Moustakis playing third base for me. I mean, I, I think he can anchor that position. The, right. the one thing that I did want to point out that you talked about was wasn't there a wasn't there a statistic last year that if Christian Yelich was to hit the ball in the air, it was more likely that he was going to hit a home run than he was going to fly out. That's correct. In the second half of the 2018 season, when he was on that absolute MVP tear, he was more likely to hit a fly ball out of the park than into a glove. Just just a little bit shocking to think about. That's like um, one of the most mind-boggling statistics I've ever heard. Like, if he hits the ball in the air, like if he just gets it up in the air, it, it's more likely to go out of the park than somebody is to catch it. It was, a, it was approaching Barry Bonds' levels, which is, even in a small sample, kind of scary. It's insane. So um, our penultimate guy here, Yasiel Puig, traded to the Cincinnati Reds. He's going to be 29 when he's a free agent. Um Puig is your friend. <laughs> Puig, Puig in a nightclub. Puig showing up hungover to your clubhouse. Puig hitting three home runs. Puig diving for for balls after he misreads of a, a fly ball. Puig, your friend. Puig, your friend. I agree. Uh, Puig, a little bit unfortunate to note here. Best season came in 2014, which was his sophomore campaign. Um, arguably MVP level that year in a weak year for MVP. I think there were a lot of us that felt that he could win the award. It went to mm-hmm. Clayton Kershaw that year, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Puig's definitely got the talent. What's concerning is he's failed to hit more than uh, three wins above replacement since that year. The it When we... When we're talking about Yasiel Pui, you could throw out the book, throw out, throw out the statistics, throw out, throw out the, the comparables. There's nobody like him. And on a day-to-day basis, you could be getting the greatest player in baseball, or you could be getting a single-A prospect. And it, but here's one thing that you can guarantee without question. He is going to put butts in seats, and he is – going to be fun to watch play baseball both when he's on the field and when he's off the field and that to me I I couldn't stand to have him on my team but god is he a treasure I think we're in agreement there I think we're all excited to see what he can do in Cincinnati this year as one of the key cogs in their offensive lineup um I I cherish Yasiel Puig and (laughs) I mean any 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 time he goes to I mean I mean licking bats is one thing and that's right and that's fine like, but no, just watching him try to track down a routine fly ball is is a gift, because it, you are in you are in for a spectacle. I mean, he could he could try to basket catch and bobble it five different times and still make the catch. He could be blowing bubble gums, and 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 making diving catches and robbing home runs. I mean, he is a spectacle. Right, Puig, your friend. Puig, your friend. Uh, the final guy on our list here, uh, we definitely value him. The rest of baseball doesn't. Anthony Rendon of the Nationals is going to be 29 years old as a free agent. Um, We've talked about this before. Very, very comparable in the value he adds to Nolan Arenado, who just signed a record-breaking extension. Um, Now, Rendon's going to be older. He's not coming on on the free agent market at 25 or 26. He's going to be 29. But Rendon is a six-plus win guy year after year. He's extremely consistent. He's going to play in 130-plus games per year. He's shown 20 to 25 home run power, but more so than that, an ability to get on base, drive in runs. 
hit doubles to the gaps, and he has become arguably the best defensive second baseman in baseball. I know most people would say Nolan Arenado or Manny Machado when he plays there, but I think Rendon deserves to be in the discussion right along with them. Nick, I don't know who you're talking about. Right, His name's Anthony Rendon. Okay, so, no, I'm joking, but the rest of baseball actually literally does not know who this is, and if they did know, he would would have already been a four-time All-Star, and we would be talking about an extension worth over $200 million easily, and it wouldn't be a question, yet people are still trying to figure out who plays third base for the Nationals, and has been for the last four years. Uh, So, oh, oh, six years, so it's been going on for that long. Well, yeah. to be fair, he played second in uh, the first year and a half of his career when they still tried to trot out the broken arm of Ryan Zimmerman over there. But I think um, I think my initial reaction with Rendon here is the Nationals are going to extend him. As we talked about earlier, the Nationals were out on Bryce Harper, which probably means they're in on keeping Rendon. What are your thoughts? Do you think they work out an extension or do you think Rendon tries the market? Um, I think we will be seeing an extension for Anthony Rendon in the next in the next couple of days. I, I I'd be willing to bet a lot of things on it. Uh, I don't own a house. I don't own a house, but I put my mortgage on it. Um, <laughs> and there's no way that he play that he doesn't sign an extension and doesn't play for the Nationals for several years to come. I would beg um, anybody listening to this, anybody that just casually watches baseball that doesn't live in the D.C. area, to just turn on a baseball game and just watch him play. Just, just watch him play baseball. Just, just for you're a couple of You're gonna have a good time. That it, it's it is baffling to me, and it's staggering that he does not get the recognition that he deserves. And there are stats to back it up. He passes the eye test. I mean, it. I have. I couldn't have enough good things to say about Anthony Rendon. It's a shame that uh, he's not more noticeable, and people don't know more about him. It's a travesty. Rapid fire question. Yep. Does Rendon make an all star team this year? You can you can you can pretty much bank on it. I mean, he, every single year he's he's six wins above replacement. He's constantly producing. He's never gonna he's never gonna dip an average. I mean, we, we joke all the time. Like uh, how long does a how long does a uh, slump last for Anthony Rendon? Uh usually no more than a few games. And then it it in a slump for him is batting two eighty. Right. It's um, it's nice to have him in the lineup there. Um, I think Rendon is a guy that you build your team around going forward because if you're going to contend, he's going to help you. I would argue of the guys we've mentioned, I think the the most interesting ones to watch are going to be Paul Goldschmidt because it seems very certain he's going to test the free agent market and potentially be the prize of the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, JD Martinez, will he opt out or opt in? If he does opt out, the suitors are going to be lining up at no the question. door. And uh, finally, I think Rendon's the other guy in the conversation here. If we just I, go by wins above replacement, he's the best of the guys we've mentioned. Um with Nolan Arenado off the board now after signing that extension with Colorado, I think we will see Rendon follow suit and mm-hmm. extend with the team that drafted him. Couldn't agree more. I, I, I'm excited about the free agent class next year, and I think it's going to be a lot less painful than the, than the year that we just went through. I think, I think it's going to be more reasonable, and I think uh, guys are going to be – uh, selling more reasonable con—I mean, signing more reasonable contracts—and I, I think it'll be a, a lot less irritating uh, than than this year's class. I think, I think you're right on the money there. So my closing thought I want to leave you with, mm-hmm. and this is a big one. All right. Does Bryce Harper finish in the top five of National League MVP voting in 2019? I think the more important question to ask is how many games into the season does Bryce Harper get hit with a battery? 
<laughs> I had to say it. I'm sorry. I, I held my tongue for as long as I could. It, we're, we're at the tail end of this podcast. I, I had to get it out somewhere. We can edit it out later, but I, I needed to say it. No, we're going to uh, leave that one in. <laughs> no, I... It's, it, this is the problem. It, it's so erratic, right? And this is this is why you don't sign into a thirteen-year deal. It's you don't know, and that's and you don't sign players like this to these types of contracts with uncertainty, right? And th- this is why it's so puzzling. So I I don't even have an answer for you. I'd like to be able to say yes. I, he's more than capable. I mean, hell, he could he could win the thing. He could have a 10, 10 win season and 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 win the MVP. But he could also bat two fifty and not be productive and finish uh, not even as a top 30 player in baseball like he did last year. I mean, these are all very real things that, that can happen. So I, I, it's going to be wait and see. But I can tell you this, Philly, Philly fans do not have a lot of patience. And, no, they don't. And, you know, for all the good things that come along with Bryce Harper, uh, Bryce Harper is, is opinionated. Bryce Harper is, free to, um, is not a quiet individual, and he feeds off emotion. Of of not only his teammates and organization, but the fans. So you're you're going to be getting a guy that is that feeds off positivity when things are going well. But I would be concerned about Bryce's productivity if he doesn't have the fans' uh, support behind him. Right. I think that's a good point. So we'll all anxiously await Bryce's return to D.C. in early April. Yep. And we will keep an eye on him and see how he reacts now that the – the pressure of free agency is off, and the pressure of performing and earning his contract is on. So thank you guys for listening to Stats on Deck. This was our second episode. I hope you guys liked it. Once again, I'm Nick Laporte, and I'm joined, as always, by my buddy here, Jake Adams. All right, good job by you, buddy. <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Good job by you. Good job by you, buddy.